This is the Sports Psychology Hour with Dr. Andrew Jacobs. I cannot express the gratitude what my son came and visited you. Dr. Jacobs has been in practice for 40 years as a sports psychologist. I have seen a change in youth sports in the last 10, 15 years. I've talked about it a lot on this show. The Sports Psychology Hour, the best advice on the radio each and every week. Failure and losing and screwing up is something that happens in life. It happens in sports. And I think we have to teach kids how to do that more effectively. This is where sports talk gets real. That word playing, it's gone from our society in a lot of ways with kids. And now here's your host, Dr. Andrew Jacobs. Hello, everybody. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. Welcome to our show here from our sports radio 810 WHB home base in Kansas City. I'm here every week. We bring on topics about the mental side of sports. And as you know, I've been here for 30 years on the radio. I'm in my 40th year of practice as a sports psychologist, about as long as anybody in the country in this profession, and love doing this show every week because we delve into your mind, your attitude, your focus, your confidence. If you have it or if you don't have it, how do you build it? How do you destroy it? We get into those topics. And every week I try to bring up topics that I think will be of interest to you. I've been very fortunate to have worked with athletes at all levels of sport, and it's my privilege to have one of them in the studio who I'll be introducing here in a moment. He's gotten up early to join us today. And, you know, I, I, I like doing this show because it's a show to help you understand yourself better and also understand how athletes and coaches perform, function, deal with issues. The last few weeks I have brought up the topic of mental health, uh, as I have for years, and quite frankly, uh, it's something I brought up for forever on, on the shows I've been doing, um, why mental health is important, why for athletes mental health is important. And we've seen over the last couple of weeks a lot of issues coming up pertaining to this. We did a show a couple weeks ago regarding Naomi Osaka withdrawing from the French Open, citing mental health, and initially she was cut down by people talking about why would she do that, and it was wrong. And then within a few days, all kinds of athletes came to her defense. We've seen the Oakland Raiders player come out this week as a gay man and has actually had a a number of professional athletes and coaches support him, which is great because we're all people. We're entitled to feel the way we do. And the stigma about a gay football player Uh, which Michael Sam originally came out and and discussed, which one of his former teammates is sitting across the table from me, which we'll mention that in a few moments, uh, brought up a lot of talk. Um, Mental health, anxiety, pressure, stress, it affects us all. You know, Michael Phelps has been a, a big proponent of talking about how athletes suffer from mental health issues, and a number of athletes have come out and talked about it over the years. So I asked... A young man, and I say young man, he's much bigger than I am, but he is a young, much younger man than I am to come in with me today. He is Mitch Morris. I've known Mitch now for four years, formerly the center for the Kansas City Chiefs, now working with the Buffalo Bills. And we've spent the last four years working together, and he's been kind enough to come in and talk with us today and share his story and his, his opinion on all this because I've, I've, I've emphasized this forever. Athletes are people. Yes, they may be superior physically and psychologically in a lot of ways to 
the average person, but they still have the same issues we do. They still wake up in the morning, they go to the bathroom, they maybe shave, and like Mitch, who doesn't, but, but well, the top of his head. But, but uh, everybody has, athletes, they do this, they have to do the same things we all do. They have relationships, they have marriages, they have kids, they have divorces, they have to deal with, with all kinds of crises in their lives and be in the public spotlight. So maybe in many ways for them, it may be more difficult in one sense because they've got to confront these issues and everybody gets to see it. So Mitch, thank you as always for coming on. It's not the first time you've, you've joined me in the studio and I really appreciate it and you know that. And before I get into going and, and having you comment on anything, I've really appreciated our, our work together and your friendship. You're a wonderful young man and I say young man because I'm almost three times your age. And um, in spite of the fact that I have to throw this out there, go doors because I am a Vanderbilt graduate in the College World Series, and Missouri's not there, so I'm just going to throw that at you here a little bit to start off. Yeah, I love waking up early, getting jabs in the stomach uh, <laughs> by my sports psychologist. Uh, I appreciate you having me on. I think this is more pertinent than ever what you're talking about, and I'm looking forward to uh, giving my opinion when I can. Well, let's start with that. What is your opinion of the whole topic of mental health right now with athletes? We're hearing more and more people talk about it, more and more people discuss their issues. There have been articles I've read in the last week in Newsweek and Time and Sports Illustrated where stories about athletes now and mental health. So let's get into your opinion. Yeah, I think it's nice to see guys put themselves out there. Um, you know, much like you said with Carl Nassib and Michael Sam, uh, in, in that regards, uh, people just need to be the first to take the step forward. And um, I think it's something that athletes have been dealing with. It's a topic as old as time, um, and it's it's nice that it's coming to the forefront. It's something that I've definitely uh, dealt with, um, trying to hone. Uh, it's an ongoing process for everyone. I think you have your highs and lows like anything else in life. Um, it's just nice to see, and uh, when 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 that when that topic of conversations brought up, uh, more people get to talk about it, uh, more people get to share their stories, and also kind of come together and help each other out. And because uh, no one no one's situation is the same. Uh, but you can use tools from other people's situations to help yourself out. Why do you think, in the world of sports especially, it's taken so long for mental health to be brought out into the open as an issue, that athletes have issues? I mean, why do you think that's taken so long? Yeah, I think with sports, um, you know, showing emotions, uh, certain emotions has always been, you know, uh, for the longest time was a sign of weakness. Uh, why that is, I don't know. Um, but you're kind of drilled, you know, you're, you're drilled to that and, you know, only show confidence, only show this, only show that. Uh, when the truth of the matter is, like you had said, that, you know, we're just like anyone else. we got stuff going on. And, um, you know, we cope with certain things better than others. And sometimes we need some help. And, uh, you know, we train our bodies all day long. Um, but, you know, what steers the ship is your mind. And if you don't have that in tune, then, you know, everything's not, you know, nothing's going to follow suit. You've obviously played football for a long time, most of your life, since high, sc high school, college, professionally. Um, you've probably seen and played with a bunch of guys who've had some big-time problems. Yeah, and it's tough. I think, um, you know, guys work on it behind the scenes, uh, and some guys don't, and you can definitely tell a difference. How? Tell us how. As, as a, an offensive lineman who's been in the league, what, seven years yeah. now? Mm -hmm. Okay, you've, you've played, I mean— you, you were the first center to uh, have Patrick Mahomes' hands underneath you, okay, professionally. Wild. Okay, yeah. and, and, and now you've got Josh Allen, another great quarterback. Also you, wild. Yeah. You've played with some incredible athletes. 
Why do you think some people have been reluctant to talk about things or deal with things, and why do you think some people don't at this level? Well, I think, you know, started off, some guys do have the mechanisms to work with themselves, and kudos to them. Um, you know, another thing is that, uh, you know, I, some guys just don't know how to ask for help. You know, it, it can start with just confiding with your teammates, which I think is one of the biggest things. Understand because guys understand what people are going through. Uh, reaching out to family is huge. Um, some people just need a push to find professional help. And, uh, you know, nowadays teams are starting to bring some people. It's not perfect, but some teams have got it figured out. Some teams don't. Um, but, the, but the topic of conversation has been put out there. Um, and big thing is the guys who look for help actively uh, usually find a way to cope with it. Um, even talking to your teammates is a huge thing. Have you noticed uh, more more guys talking about personal issues now than maybe five, six years ago? Are you seeing more people feeling more comfortable discussing some of their personal issues in the locker room or maybe away from, you know, when you guys get together off the field? Yeah, I think every person's got someone in the locker room that they can confide with. And um, when you find that person, you, you, you stick to them and you stick with them and, um, you know, I've had a few of those guys over my years, along with you know, you know, professional help. Um, it becomes hugely important, and uh, I think you know, I, for especially as an offensive lineman, sometimes that O line room can be your soundboard, um, and uh, it's very comforting and it does help a ton. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs here every week. Joining me today is Buffalo Bills center Mitch Morris. We're talking about the topic of mental health in sports. Mitch is a wonderful young man. I've gotten to know him over the past four years. He, he confronts things. He deals with things. More than glad to take your calls here this morning. And we're going to delve into how it was, what it was like, how he felt dealing with COVID this past season and getting through that. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. State of Play with former Washington, D.C. Mayor Sharon Pratt. Our topic today, gun culture in America and how it may be tied to other issues in America, such as possibly white supremacy. We've had great guests, rich content, at least for me, clarity about why the Second Amendment in our Constitution matters so much to so few. And the frustrating thing for me was to learn that over 90 percent of Americans really want to do something about the proliferation of guns, want background checks and the like, and yet here we are still fighting it. It's so dispiriting for me to watch those kids from Parkland who took up the cause, and here we are, we just ignore them. For more, watch State of Play TV, Saturdays and Sundays at noon, 11 Central, on the Black News Channel, or go to State of Play TV on YouTube. Let's be honest, the National Symphony may not be in his future, but he wanted to try violin. So you said yes because you love him. And if you love him that much, love him enough to make sure he's buckled up and in the back seat. Find out more about keeping your kids safe in your vehicle at NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Show them you love them. Keep them safe. Visit NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. America, your children have an amazing superpower. They can help save lives by not having playdates. That's right. By replacing get-togethers with virtual playdates and video chats, they can help slow the evil spread of germs. 
And if your superheroes do go outside, make sure they continue their superhero wing by staying six feet away from others to protect everyone in America land. Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. Hey, Dad, how do airplanes fly? What's in this box? Can I touch this? Where does sand come from? Is this tree good for climbing? What happens if I mix these two things together? How are babies made? What does this thing do? Kids are curious about everything, including guns. Talking to them about gun safety in your home is a good first step, but you can do more. Always keep your guns locked, unloaded, and stored separately from ammunition. Storing your guns securely is the best way to prevent family fire, including unintentional shootings. For more information on safe gun storage and ways to keep your family safe, visit endfamilyfire.org. That's endfamilyfire.org. What do we keep in the attic? What's this thing called? Can I ride my bike backwards? Like I said, kids are curious. It's up to us to keep them safe. Brought to you by End Family Fire, Brady, and the Ad Council. One in three adults has pre-diabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has pre-diabetes, with early diagnosis, pre-diabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has pre-diabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. <gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. Hello again, everyone. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour from our flagship station, Sports Radio 810, WHB in Kansas City. I'm here every week delving into your mind, your attitude, your focus. And I'm fortunate enough to have with me a great young man in the studio. His name is Mitch Morris. He's the center for the Buffalo Bills, entering his third year with Buffalo. Really one of the best centers in the league, but through my 40 years of work, one of the best people I've ever known. Very down to earth. He's become a father since I've known him, in which I know he loves his daughter very much. It's, it's really brought a twinkle in his eye, as they say. Um, so Mitch, this past year, let's face it, it was hell for everybody. We got this virus, everything shut down, everything stopped, um, but you still had to play football, okay? So tell it, what, what was that like, okay? Because, you know, you, you weren't, you're playing in empty stadiums, you're practicing online, on Zoom, on FaceTime, you're not seeing people in, in, for a long time. Tell everybody what that was like. Yeah, I think at the infancy of COVID, um, kind of that February, March, time frame there was just so much uncertainty i think football at the at first was the last thing in your mind you're just worried about your families and and and, and your loved ones and i think that mentally taxed a lot of people um and then we found out that we we're going to continue with otas online so 
which was kind of Excuse a Excuse me, tell people what OTA stands yeah, so for. So it stands for Organized Team Activities. There's different phases. There's phase one, there's phase two, there's phase three. That happens between like April 20th and June 13th, starting with phase one, which is just kind of slowly getting into it and ending in phase three, which is uh, where, you, where you hear like the OTAs part where you practice and then ends with a usually a veteran mini camp where everyone's required to be there for three days, mandatory. You still live in Kansas City, even though you're playing in Buffalo. Yeah, still live in Kansas City. Um that's where my family and I call home. Love it here. Um, but so we went from that to virtual, and then yeah, then we're going to season where we really don't know what's going on. You still really don't know everything about how COVID works, um, and it's just a day. You know, you, usually as football players, we have our weeks and our days scheduled out months in advance. You, they could pull it up like, all right, week three here is going to be our schedule. Where now we're in a place where, hey, log on in the morning on your phone the schedule is going to be ever-changing just because of COVID protocols if there's a positive there was just so many lane, there avenues that could be taken and it was one of those things where you just had to learn how to be um, flexible fluid yeah flexible with the schedule and at first that was kind of tough but then you you know like anything you get into a rhythm of it and you kind of cope with it and then when it comes to game time that was eerie it was wild well it, let's let's get to that in a minute so get so in the off season then you spent a lot of that here in Kansas City online. Right. And when did you finally go back to Buffalo for your first team activity together? Yeah, I mean, it started off with me having a little too much to drink one night and then waking up and I had ordered like $3,000 worth of Amazon workout equipment. So I have a garage gym just kind of unknowingly. Uh, and that was kind of wild. And But that worked. I worked on and that for a few months. And then... When was that? Uh, that was probably right when COVID became a thing. Uh, probably February, March, and then worked out my garage for months, and then we just kind of got hey, we're, we are reporting to training camp July, you know, late July. Get there a few days so you can quarantine, and then we're going to test you. If you have to test like four or five days in a row before you can even get physicals. Was that? Let me ask you. So, going back there for the first time, being around your teammates for the first time, what was that like psychologically, emotionally? It was. Um, it was, it was kind of nice. I mean, you still didn't understand how fully how COVID was spread or anything like that. So a lot of guys were hyper vigilant, and you were outside still wearing masks. Um, but it was nice to see your friends. I mean, you'd been isolated from your friends and your teammates for months, you know. And I had been just, like you just said, I just had my kid, and we were just kind of in the trenches with that. And um, it was nice, but at the same time, it was also so many unknowns, and that can be a stressor. So, were you scared to go back and be around everybody with with the with the COVID protocols and everything, or were you pretty confident that it was going to be safe? I was pretty confident. I was pretty confident in the protocols they put in place. Um, you know, I think you had to take that leap of faith at some point, um, and that was and that's what it was. Um, you know, some guys opted out, and we totally respected that decision. Um, well, your former teammate here in Kansas City, Larry DeVernay Tardif. Yeah, he's to, to also in a completely different – like, that dude's got so much going on. Uh, yeah, he was off saving the world. Uh, I would have just been sitting on my couch, and uh, which was no, nothing wrong with that. I know guys had some really – you know, some solid concerns, and we really did respect that. Um, but, yeah, we you just kind of had to trust the process, uh, trust what was going on, which inherently I did. And um, it wasn't perfect. There was a lot of learning from everyone involved, from so the organization, so the players, and you went from there. So, what was that like when you finally got back there and you're around everybody? What was the, what was the anxiety? Because there had to be some anxiety with some people about 
being together and some fear. Some people probably didn't care, but right. there were probably a lot of people that did. Yeah, I think um, the guys who really had concerns did opt out. But, yeah, like I think the the average Joe, I mean, you have your concerns, but then once you stack days upon days, um, and I don't, we didn't have really any COVID positive tests during training camp, um, which was wild. So you just kind of stuck with what you knew. We knew this worked. Um, yeah, we our meeting rooms had to go into the indoor to spread out, which is kind of wild. And then, but yeah, as an yeah, let me ask you a question about that. You're you're the center on, a, on an NFL team, right? The offensive line is a group of guys who are together all the time. I mean, you're touching each other. You're you're connecting on the line. I mean, you're right next to each other. So what was that like? practicing and not not doing that well practice was nothing was different in practice okay yeah i mean practice was the same as any other practice you got to get your work in we're still you know smacking in heads and then and, and you know you're <laughs> you're face to face that's just what it is in practice uh but do a lot of guys had face shields on or things like that was that different that way i mean at, towards the end you had face shields um for us we were just kind of trusted that um you, yeah I, pl- I played a guy in vegas uh, the D tackle across from me the whole game, and you know we were getting after it, and uh, and he had COVID. We found out he had tested positive for COVID the next day, and after that played through, and I found out that I hadn't had I didn't have COVID. I was more trusting that during practice they you know those protocols were taken care of. I, the, the thing that was kind of hammered down wasn't so much a practice; it was off the field, and or you know in the locker rooms, the training rooms, and stuff like that. Just where guys would go after practice or things like that so yeah i mean mostly in the facility i mean because you have 100 plus dudes plus staff and all that stuff confined to this deal and you got to get work done were there some people i know from our work together you handled it fine you dealt with it fine but were there some guys that that were not doing too good with it were there some guys freaking out about it was everybody pretty much by the time the season got going was it pretty much everybody was you know sort of into the routine yeah i think it was the latter everyone once they got into it this part of the routine i think people were you know you got so much of your stress out as as it as it progressed through march april may june when you realized that if you took proper protocols and stuff like that um you know you could you know you could you could lower your chance of getting it and stuff like that. So, um, I, t- I mean, towards the end of training camp, it was just getting into the season um, and going from there. And, and then there were some nuances throughout the season and stuff like that that were, were pretty interesting. Well, we'll talk about that after this next break. And, and I'd like to – I'm really intrigued to hear from you, and especially for our listeners, what it was like to play as an NFL player in a league game in an empty stadium because you're used to playing in front of thousands and thousands of people – now, in Buffalo, you had no fans. Right. And so all of a sudden, boom, there's nobody there. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. And now, State of Play with former Washington, D.C. Mayor Sharon Pratt. I've had very rich conversations around the issue of voting rights in D.C. statehood. D.C. statehood and voting rights. They're practically inseparable. And what we heard from the Democratic political leadership is that they care deeply about voting rights, D.C. statehood, but not so certain that they could make it happen in this political climate. But we also heard from the activists, they don't want to hear that. And everybody says Republicans are absolutely clear. They're going to hang on to their power by whatever means necessary. So it would appear to me we're in store for a lot of political unrest in our country in the days ahead. For more, 
Watch State of Play TV Saturdays and Sundays at noon, 11 central on the Black News Channel or go to State of Play TV on YouTube. America, your children have an amazing superpower. That's right. They can help save lives by simply washing their hands. Just 20 seconds of thorough hand washing after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside can help fight against the dastardly spread of germs. Armed with only soap and water and hands, your superhero can protect you, your family, and everyone out there in America land. Amazing. Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. Neil Armstrong waited six hours and 39 minutes to step onto the surface of the moon. Jackie Robinson waited 20 months to play his first game with the Brooklyn Dodgers. And even DiCaprio had to wait 22 years to win an Oscar. You can wait until your destination. Don't text and drive. Visit StopTextStopRex.org. A message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, and the Ad Council. What I know about courage, I learned from my adoptive mom. She said sometimes you just gotta hold on and know we'll get through this. Mom, we are so high up. Hold my hand. <laughs> no, you hold my hand. Here we go. <laughs> Learn about adopting a teen from foster care. You can't imagine the reward. Visit AdoptUSKids.org to find out more. This message is brought to you by Adopt US Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. Let's be honest. The National Symphony may not be in his future, but he wanted to try violin. So you said yes because you love him. And if you love him that much, love him enough to make sure he's buckled up and in the back seat. Find out more about keeping your kids safe in your vehicle at NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Show them you love them. Keep them safe. Visit NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Hey, Dad, how do airplanes fly? What's in this box? Can I touch this? Where does sand come from? Is this tree good for climbing? What happens if I mix these two things together? How are babies made? What does this thing do? Kids are curious about everything, including guns. Talking to them about gun safety in your home is a good first step, but you can do more. Always keep your guns locked, unloaded, and stored separately from ammunition. Storing your guns securely is the best way to prevent family fire, including unintentional shootings. For more information on safe gun storage and ways to keep your family safe, visit endfamilyfire.org. That's endfamilyfire.org. What do we keep in the attic? What's this thing called? Can I ride my bike backwards? Like I said, kids are curious. It's up to us to keep them safe. Brought to you by N Family Fire, Brady, and the Ad Council. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. Hello again, everyone. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs from our flagship station, Sports Radio 810 WHB in Kansas City. I'm here every week talking about the mental side of sports. Having a great interview this morning with Buffalo Bills center Mitch Morris. And we've been talking about the whole issue of mental health and sports. And our topic towards the break was about COVID and dealing with that. And so let's continue that, Mitch. So you played in empty stadiums at in the NFL. Yeah, I mean, you started playing football down in Austin, Texas, and what, high school? Yes, sir. Okay. 
And, you know, down in Texas, there might be, what, 10, 15 fans in the stands? That's about right. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you, you've practiced in empty stadiums, obviously, but it's practice, but not in an actual game. So what was what was that like? Yeah, we were, we were kind of talking off air. Um, you know, it's you don't realize how big some of these stadiums are until they're completely empty. Uh, and that was another thing was some, you know, certain teams were allowed to have fans like here in Kansas City uh, and certain teams were allowed to have fans like Tennessee. Uh, and Lord knows that even at a third capacity, that was such a competitive advantage to have. Um, Do yeah. you think that made a big difference? Oh, I mean, that in a, the AFC championship game when we were playing, we had never, you know, usually you have 10 to 8 chances to practice your silent count and you have weeks to practice that as well. Um, and then we're kind of thrust into this last game where we hadn't practiced our silent count at all, and uh, and it became a huge competitive advantage because you know my mechanics were off a little bit, guys weren't totally, uh, we weren't totally in tune with it, and uh, it you know it, it definitely played into the other team's advantage. Uh, but you know another thing is you're playing you know in, in the NFL every game is so paramount, uh, you know th- it's just so dire to win these games, but the the stadium isn't telling you that because it's completely empty. It feels like a scrimmage. Um, and uh, I mean, usually even if a if a stadium is full, you kind of tune out the crowd immediately after that first snap. Um, I I always say that the most nerve wracking part of the game is the national anthem. You know, you're standing across the fr- you know from another team, the stadium's rocking, it's full. But once that first snap goes down, it's just football. Um, sometimes you have to remind yourself that throughout the game. But uh, it was wild, man. It was crazy. So. You got used to it as time went on, obviously. Absolutely. And what's it going to be like this fall going back to full stadiums? Yeah, it'll be it'll be another weird deal because you did get kind of used to not having fans. I mean, I was I was able to get home. I was leaving the locker room, being home seven minutes later. Uh, I'm not going to lie, that was awesome. I could be home on my couch within ten minutes of leaving the locker room in Buffalo. Whereas normally it takes oh, not ten, you know, thirty, forty-five minutes. Um, but it's all good, you know, because it's full of fans who are supporting you, who are, you know, are so fully vested in what you're doing. Um, and and let me, let's jump into that, because you've played in, with two teams, the Chiefs and the Bills, who have rabid fan bases, obviously. Um, what, what is that like to, you know, be the center of attention in a place? I mean, obviously, everybody knows who you are because you're the, you're the guy. Love that yeah. yeah. Well, you're snapping the ball to the quarterback, so you're the center of attention throughout the game. If you're the right right guard, you may not get the same attention you might get. That, 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 of course, you're not going to get the same attention once the ball snapped. People, you're just part of the line, <laughs> you know, because everybody, said, everybody's yeah. watching the quarterback, the receivers, the running backs. Most people aren't watching what the offensive line's doing. Yeah, I mean, if people are watching, it's usually not a great thing. Uh, you, the least amount your name can be called out during a game, the better usually. Uh, people usually only notice me when I you know, it's a bad snap and that's not a good party. It's not a party. That's usually not the greatest thing. Um, so so okay. Regarding that, since you brought that up, oh gosh, all so right, we'll yeah. put you on the spot. No, but when when you when you make a bad snap, okay, which is going to happen. I mean, you snap the ball, you're on the field fifty-five to seventy plays a game, right? Something like that, depending right. on what's going on. Uh-huh. Statistically, there's no way everything's going to be perfect. There's mm-hmm. going to be something bad once in a while. So. When that happens, how do you handle that personally and re- rebound from that to go to the next play? Because that's obviously we've talked about that. Yeah, as a center, a bad snap is about as worse of a feeling as anything on the field. Um, you'd rather have a sack than a snap. I mean, both are horrible. But um, you, you well, really, why, why, okay, why is that? Why would you rather have a sack? I don't know. I, I think 
you know, it's just one of those routine things you take for granted. Um, you know, the only person you get beat by is yourself on those things. Whereas when a sack, you're beat by someone else and you put up a fight and maybe they put up a better fight than you. But on a snap, you, it's your sole job to do that. So along the lines, let me just change the, the sport for a second along the lines of what you just said. Uh, as I mentioned, I'm a Grant Vanderbilt graduate watching the College World Series. Vanderbilt beats um, Stanford the other day in the bottom of the ninth inning when Stanford's pitcher throw, who's, who's this lights-out pitcher, but in the ninth inning wasn't doing well, then throws this incredibly terrible wild pitch over everybody's head. Vanderbilt's you know, runner from third scores. Vanderbilt wins, moves on. Okay. So how does somebody in that situation have to deal with that as he moves on? Because that if you snap the ball over Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes' head, everybody's going to what, what what was he doing? How right. do you deal with that? I mean, first of all, you go back to the fact that you've made thousands and thousands and thousands of good snaps. So you know you can do it. Um, you go back, maybe go break that play down. What are the conditions? Where was my head at that certain time? Break down all the factors of why, the controllable factors of why that happened. Maybe there's something like maybe your glove was too wet or maybe you need, you know, your, something, you know, different tape on your hands or something like that. And then you trust the fact that you've done it over and over again. And you understand that it's not going to happen every time you snap the football and you got to trust yourself and uh, go back and understand that it did happen. People are going to know it happened. You're going to know it happened, but that's not going to define you. One bad play is not going to define you. And if you do, if you let that happen, uh, then you're in a world of hurt and you're setting yourself up for digression and failure in the future. So if you were advising or talking to that Stanford pitcher, and I don't, don't know his name, and he pitched lights out until that inning, and he just, you know, I think he just ran out of gas. But he throws one of the worst pitches he's probably ever thrown in his life that results in the game-winning run scoring. What would you say to him about being able to move on and, and, and handle that? I mean, I think for the fir you know, first and foremost, it's not going to be easy, right? And, and that's the unfortunate thing is we wish you could take that away from you, pal. You know, that angst, that anguish, um, you know, I'm sure he feels like he put his whole team in out but there's also there's a reason why it came down to that specific point like it's not it's, it's a team game everyone you know it's not his sole reason that happened uh, another thing is that like you just gotta just gotta understand that you got it dude like you said he's playing lights out and this you know, these miscues happen it's unfortunate um we all are human like you said before we're gonna make mistakes but if you let that define you which is easier said than done um you, you just you, you got to move forward and, and you know don't totally flush maybe there's something you can learn from it in regards to mechanics and stuff like that um, but put it in your back pocket your tool belt and then understand you got a lot of good baseball in front of you so along the lines of that your last year with the chiefs the last game you played with the chiefs afc championship game at arrowhead stadium d ford is lined up offsides tom brady throws an interception Interceptions nullified because D Ford's, you know, what half an inch offsides. Mm -hmm. Patriots go on to score a touchdown, then win the, you know, in overtime. What would you say to D Ford about handling that? Because that that wasn't the reason that the Patriots wanted the Chiefs lost. That's one play out of many. Exactly. That's what I would say. I'd say, well, you know what? It's unfortunate that this is put on you, pal. You know, you're a great player and a great teammate, which he was. Um, you know. It's unfair to put that one play as the sole reason why we lost because, you know, as an offense, I don't think we scored a touchdown in the first half. And then no, we, no points in the no first points, half. And then we, we played amazing catch-up in the back half, but what if we had scored, you know, one touchdown or a field goal or stuff like that? Um, he wouldn't be in a position 
for that to be such a daunting deal. And I don't think it's fair that people put it on him. I'm sure he would like to not line off sides. Um, but that's just what it was, man. And, and I think it's unfortunate that it was put on there. What would you say to him as a, as a person, not just as a football player, but as a person to move on from that and deal with that? When somebody has that happen as a teammate, what do you say to them? Because I mean, a lot. Of, excuse me. Because a lot of people want. Gosh, what are they? They blaming each other. What do they do as a teammate? What do you say? No, I think as a teammate, you especially this this league, you played enough football, you understand that that's not the case. You know, it, it could have been anyone's uh, miscue that led to that, and you feel you feel bad for him. I mean, you would love to be in the the big dance, but um, you know, it's a team sport in the very end. And we had his back, and that locker room was nothing but um, supportive of him and. Uh, I think we all looked intrinsically on what we could have done better. And I know there was plenty I could have done better to uh, protect, you know, the quarterback and get him a chance to dish the ball out, especially in that first half. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. And now, State of Play with former Washington, D.C. Mayor Sharon Pratt. And our topic today, the technology gap, especially for communities of color, whether it's jobs, businesses, or the adverse impact in getting credit or uh, in the criminal justice system. These um, automated decision systems have to be taught how to make decisions. They don't just grow on trees. And so the question is, is how do we teach them? We teach them by feeding past data, past human decisions, whether it's who gets loans, who gets paroled, um, you know, who gets the job. So we take that historic data and we train these systems how to make future predictions and decisions. It's almost as if technology is sort of uh, trailing alongside systemic inequalities. For more, Watch State of Play TV Saturdays and Sundays at noon, 11 central on the Black News Channel or go to State of Play TV on YouTube. Right now, our country feels divided, but there's a place where people are coming together. I got to tell you, I was nervous to talk to someone so different than me. Me too, but I'm glad we are. Love Has No Labels and One Small Step are helping people with different political views, beliefs, and life experiences come together through conversation, and it feels good. Wow, your story is so... uh, Interesting. Yeah. (laughs) When people actually sit down, talk, and listen to one another, they can break down boundaries and connect as human beings. At lovehasnolabels.com slash one small step, you can listen to amazing, life-changing conversations and find simple tools to start a conversation of your own. I know one thing. This conversation gives me hope. It gives me a lot of hope, too. Take a step toward bringing our country and your community together by having the courage to start a conversation at lovehasnolabels.com slash one small step. A message from StoryCorps, Love Has No Labels, and the Ad Council. If a natural disaster comes knocking, how prepared is your family? You can't just close the door on earthquakes, floods, or hurricanes and hope they go away. That's why it's important to make a plan now. Ready.gov plan has the tools and tips you need to prepare your family for an emergency. So if disaster shows up at your doorstep, you'll be ready. Visit ready.gov plan and make a plan today. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. What I know about courage, I learned from my adoptive mom. She said sometimes you just gotta hold on and know we'll get through this. Mom, we are so high up. Hold my hand. (laughs) No, you hold my hand. 
Here we go! Learn about adopting a teen from foster care. You can't imagine the reward. Visit AdoptUSKids.org to find out more. This message is brought to you by AdoptUSKids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. Good morning, everybody. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. My guest this morning is Mitch Morris. We're having a great conversation here. Um, let's let's talk about pressure, stress, anxiety. Okay, um, what is that for you? How have you dealt with that? Learned to handle that. And, and, and as a professional athlete, what is that? Well, I think it manifests itself differently. Um, and everyone, and especially myself at different times, um, you know, there's, uh, mine usually manifests itself in performance anxiety. So say I have a bad player in practice or in a game, uh, I have a tough time not letting that affect the rest of the practice or the rest of the game, or it can, it can consume me when I get home. And, and the unfortunate thing is the people who, um, who, you know, that it affects are my wife and kid uh, just because I'm just a shell of myself because I just I, I put every ounce of energy and focusing on what happened um, and it, it just deters me I become a worse father I become more uh, in, introverted which isn't bad but um, so for me it's about flushing it and moving on understanding how to cope with that in games and even off the field um, and it's something I've dealt with for years, and it's something that I'm continuing to deal with and still learning. And it's the great thing it, it's about this, is, is about sports, is you never fully master it. And you have to practice the same fundamentals as you practiced when you were a kid. I mean, we're doing the same footwork we were when we were you know, in high school. It's just, you know, it's just fine-tuning it now and doing it over and over again so it becomes a, a habit. Well, and, and, and you've been very open about working on that. We've worked on these issues, and you're, you're handling it much, much better. But you care about that stuff because you care about what you do. Yeah, I think that's another thing is that it comes from a place where you care so much. And I do. I, I take pride in being a professional like a lot of people do. Um, and I, I take pride in putting my best foot forward um, as a teammate on and off the field. So when I feel like I lack in that or I make a mistake, um, it can – consume me and develop me and turn me into a shell of myself and no one benefits from that especially me and you've learned i know we've talked about that and you've learned ways to handle that much better yeah but, but it's an ongoing process uh, every day and some days are better than others and what you can do is you can lull yourself into sleep by compound you know, pound, you know piling up good days and then you have one bad day so you, even on the good days you have to focus on yourself and the bad days definitely focus on yourself and finding a routine mentally um, so that there aren't these huge lulls, these huge deviations that you can kind of keep it uh, on the on the same plane and the same line. You and I worked a lot on. I have relaxation visualization exercises that I work with athletes on for years. You've utilized that as well. How does that help you? Uh, yeah, I mean, I remember utilizing that, especially you know when we first started working with each other, and then kind of taking that and then working on that. Um, finding your own tools to do that and understand you know from that yeah visualization is a huge component of everything um you know work on the field and off the field um it becomes so important so 
I mean, if if you if you just kind of push it, I think the biggest thing for me was I push it aside, push it aside, push it aside. All these bad feelings. Well, maybe I can deal with it by watching TV, or maybe I can deal with it, which is good for the short term. But then it's going to compound itself on game day and to a point where your threshold, you know, you haven't lowered that that threshold so that it, anything can tip it over, and then you're you're in a, in a bad place that's tough to get out of. I think that's the one thing is that when you get to that place, it's tough to get out of unless you have uh, friends, family, or someone you can talk to. I've always felt that athletes who are thinkers and are bright are the ones who end up with this issue more so than the ones that maybe aren't, aren't as, as bright because they don't care. It's like I screwed up, whatever, go on. And if you're if you're a thinker, which you are very much a thinker, and you have to be a thinker in your position, right? Yeah, I think um, I think quote unquote brighter guys, um, maybe they vocalize it differently. Maybe they're they have they have a better way of vocalizing it. But I think everyone, to a certain extent, deals with it. Um, yeah, I, that's a, a well. Everybody, you're all human, and that, that excuse me, and that takes us to the whole thing. That, that we're talking about today, you are a professional athlete. You're one of the very best there is at what you do in the world, yet you're still human, and you still have to deal with these feelings. Oh, 100%. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, I think the tough thing is when, um, you know, you've t- I'm sure you've talked about social media on this, sh- on this show, is that you, you, you know, for me, I deleted, I delete most of mine during the season. I completely deleted my Twitter and all that stuff just because it was just like I look at it and uh, none of it's constructive criticism when you do bad. Uh, and even if you do well, that's a slippery slope too. You know, so for me, I, I learned at a young because, age. Because you start believing it? Yeah, and then, and then you, you set yourself up for, well, when you inevitably do something, you have a mistake, well, then those same people are going to flip on you. And then, you know, I had someone said, well, if you look at the good things, you've got, also got to look at the bad. And so I said, you know what, that's not helping me at all, become a better football player, a better father. So I flush it. I'll tell you what, my life is so much better because of it because then I can just focus on the opinions that care, which are my friends and family and my teammates. And in the end, that's all I care about. Well, yeah, and, and that's something I've, I've suggested to so many athletes in, spot, in the spotlight. It's tough. I especially mean, at the professional level. Yeah, it's tough, especially when you can get this thing where you get this instant gratification where someone tells you you're the best thing since sliced bread. Well, you know, that the flip side of that is also that one mistake. Then you're just it's the worst person ever walked the face yeah, of the earth. Then you're then these people who are taking a dump in their house are just putting out the worst. They don't know you, but they're t- putting these things out that are just. You know, my mom's got a Twitter man. I don't want her seeing this stuff. It's terrible. Yeah, well, and, and, and so as an athlete dealing with with your anxiety, something we've talked about, we work on on a regular basis. Is it important you think for coaches to deal with this stuff as well? Because we talk about, you know, you, we, we're hearing so many athletes come out and talk about mental health. Dick Vermeil years ago, retired from coaching because of the stress. Mm-hmm. And then he came back and he said he was a much better coach in person. Al Saunders, who's a good friend of mine, has been on the show several times and talked about the importance of that. Of course, he worked with Dick Vermeil all that right. time. Right. Uh, I think you brought up on a brilliant point. Yeah, coaches who can deal with that. Um, you know, because if they can deal with it, and they're even in their own ways, and you know, the, the the better you deal with it, the better leader you are, and the less you kind of 
you cast that stress and everything down to your team, which will manifest itself and trickle down. And that plays a huge role. So before we wrap things up, with kids, and you have a young daughter. Yes. And confidence in kids. I, I've talked about this. We've discussed it many times. I see so many kids' confidence just just devastated by overbearing parents and coaches. I had a young, uh, a couple in my office, young couple in my office this week. They've got four young boys, and they've got a 10-year-old boy who got yelled at, screamed at by his six foot four, 250-pound coach because he struck out the other day. Right. Yeah, I think that's hugely important. I, this is I'm going to step on my soapbox real quick. Is that if kid? I mean, in my positions, that's when you're why not, you're here. To uh, right? Yes, yeah, this is my this is my six a.m. soapbox. I'll tell you what: if as a parent, especially of a young kid, even in the high school, if your kid's not having fun and you're not pushing them to have fun, uh, first and foremost, then you're doing something wrong, and you need to look at yourself. You know, it's it's hard. I understand for some parents not to push their thing w- through their kids. Um, maybe you were a great athlete. Well, maybe your kid, maybe that's not the thing for your kid. And if you, you, you just need to take a step back, make sure your kid's having fun. Because honestly, if you have fun, you're more inclined to work harder at it, more inclined to be better at it. Um, and it's just life's too short. And, and, and especially as a young athlete, if you're not having fun, then you're setting yourself up for um, some anguish that, and something that should be pure and fun, which is, and, and, and what's give, your give, definition of fun, tool. Mitch, as, as an athlete? Uh, yeah, I think, f- right. Yeah. For me, fun is finding, well, especially a team for sport, finding a group of friends, buddies, competing with them, uh, and finding joy and working together to accomplish a goal. Um, you know, even, even through losses, sometimes there's some great memories as a young kid, uh, so it's really just finding joy and coming back and sleeping at night and understanding that uh, I had fun doing what I did. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. My guest today is Mitch Morris, Center for the Buffalo Bills. The reason he's been on today is everything he shared because this is, this is a wonderful young man. I've known him for four years. Um, he gets it. And I hope if you're a coach, you're a parent, you'll encourage your kids to listen to this show because I think the message he's sharing is that everybody needs to hear. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. Mitch, thanks for being here today. Appreciate having me on, Doc. Thank you. Our shows are podcast on my website, winnersalimited.com. They're on all the social media sites. Encourage coaches and athletes to listen to this show especially because I think the message from a, a young man like Mitch who is at the top of his game can help everybody out. Have a great week. Take care. Blake Snyder, thanks for your work. Take care of yourselves. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. And now, State of Play with former Washington, D.C. Mayor Sharon Pratt. The status of black women in America. A lot of people say, well, why do you need to talk about it? 
You've got Kamala Harris, a heartbeat away from the presidency. You've got Stacey Abrams being considered for Nobel Peace Prize. But I think we all know that's not the real deal. African-Americans and particularly women were the vessels by which to keep this human capital going. Uh, during slavery, then you had uh, Jim Crow. And there's a sensitivity on the part of women generally, whatever the race, and then particularly African-American women, to raise the point of, why aren't you talking about me? Why don't you have programs customized uh, to deal with my needs? And so I guess that explains why we're still struggling with it uh, in this year of 2021. For more, watch State of Play, Saturdays and Sundays at noon, 11 Central, on the Black News Channel. If a natural disaster comes knocking, how prepared is your family? You can't just close the door on earthquakes, floods, or hurricanes and hope they go away. That's why it's important to make a plan now. Ready.gov plan has the tools and tips you need to prepare your family for an emergency. So if disaster shows up at your doorstep, you'll be ready. Visit ready.gov plan and make a plan today. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. America, your children have an amazing superpower. They can help save lives by not having playdates. That's right. By replacing get-togethers with virtual playdates and video chats, they can help slow the evil spread of germs. And if your superheroes do go outside, make sure they continue their superhero wing by staying six feet away from others to protect everyone in America land. Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. One in three adults has pre-diabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has pre-diabetes, with early diagnosis, pre-diabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has pre-diabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. <gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. 